ride with me in my foul life. We've neared the end of our 2021 Wildfowl Giant Gear issue, the Bible of duck and goose hunters. I've said it, I don't say that lightly. You got to get your hands on this magazine every year. When we get it in our mailboxes, when we get it um, at the newsstand, when we see it at a lodge, when we see it at our buddy's house, we pick it up. We gravitate towards it. The print ads, the articles, the instructions, the back cover, the front cover, the photography, the inside covers, everything about this magazine. And Skip Knowles and his crew did not cut any corners again this year that seems to be the consistent theme with this crew wildfowl over delivers every year in my opinion and truly i hope you've been enjoying all the episodes of the foul life podcast 2021 wildfowl giant gear issue series we take it very serious because this time of year is tough on a duck hunter we're itching to get out there we're starting to get all of our gear ready we're practicing our call we're working the dogs we're painting the decoys we're making sure that all of our equipment is up to par we don't want to drop the ball when those mallards or those bluebills or those canvas bags or those sprigs or those specks or those canada geese give us that opportunity present that opportunity sometimes i call it the opportunity of a lifetime it might not be that might be a little bit dramatic and i apologize if it is but i'm fired up because we are coming to the end of this series and we've been learning so much along the way with so many diverse and unbelievable powerful guests from tony vanamore to fred zinc to the great the legend of terry denman josh Dawkins at bandit Drew Keith, the guy is amazing down there at Honeybreak, Louisiana. There's so many that I can keep mentioning from George Thompson at Benelli. Chad Money Mendez from the Bare Knuckle Boxing League came in and weighed in on the guns and how he looks at shotgun. And we also had Dan Compton from Federal Ammunition and the great Rob Roberts. I know I'm missing some, but y'all can find them right here at any of your podcast platforms. You can look for the reruns from the 2020 series at OutdoorChannel.com. Um, my guests today, they're unbelievable. I got Skip Knowles, our co-host again, editor-in-chief of Wildfowl Magazine. Skip, what's up, brother? Oh, man, I'm doing great. Just getting pumped for the season. This has been a really fun journey with you with those illustrious guests we uh, you mentioned. We've had so much fun with it. And um, just getting psyched for the season. I'm uh, sitting here on the Kansas border, one of my favorite places, kind of an emergency family visit, but it's allowing me to scout one of the hottest dove holes on earth um we're not long before we get to go to war and it's a place i test a lot of shotguns and have a lot of fun just prior to teal season it's 103 degrees here today and man i just can't wait for those frosty mornings me neither i know i missed a couple guests i know that i miss chris cifrio at jargon i don't like leaving people out skip and today's guest has been on the podcast before he makes one of the coolest products in my opinion because Here's the deal. There's so many different applications. There's so much diversity in duck hunting. And we always talk, Skip Knowles, about how we have to be adaptable. The greatest athletes in the world, the greatest businessmen in the world, the greatest CEOs, the greatest leaders of our world have been able to adapt when time calls for. And Skip, when I talk about, Skip, can you hear me? Skip, you there? You there you are. When I talk about 
adaption. I want to be able to wake up and go, oh my gosh, Mother Nature threw a curveball at me. It's time to roll. Or you watch the weather report and you're like, all right, the 10-day forecast is calling for this. We're going to get cold temperatures dropping below the freezing mark. They might even get in the low 20s, the high upper teens. We're going to need open water. If you have all the food in the world, cornfields, pea fields, whatever, and then all of a sudden the water sources freeze up and you might not have a moving body of water like a river or an oxbow up in that area, your ducks and geese, are, they're skedaddling. Now, if there's open water and no snow, they're going to stay there. If there's open water and five inches, 10 inches of snow, ducks and geese are going to stay there. They got open water. They'll find a way to get to that food. They'll land and put their body heat on it and melt that snow or that frost. They'll go out and just peck the higher bushels of corn that they can find, the, the heads that are above the snow. I've seen ducks and geese adapt. They adapt. They're some of the most adaptable animals in the world because of their migratory routes, maybe besides the coyote, which is the most adaptable animal on the planet Earth, in my opinion. So today's guest, Skip, Josh Tishner, the owner, the founder, the president, the, the man behind Mallard View Outdoors, the ice eater, is part of our giant gear issue in the accessories department. And the reason that I want to bring up the ice eater, Skip, is that... Think about what it can do for you. In states where it's legal, it can move water, move decoys, it can aerate, it can keep that water moving. It can open up an ice hole. If it's already iced over, you grab a chainsaw, an axe, some hammers, whatever, some sledges, you can go out and bust through that ice and rake it out, put these ice heaters in there and keep it open. Or you can open up a little section and start pumping water on top of the ice, under the ice, get the water moving. The next thing you know, you have what Josh Tishner has coined a honey hole, keeping the honey hole open. And I know that honey hole has different meanings for different people, but in duck hunting, that's where we go to have that experience of mallards in your dish, in your face. Josh Tishner, founder, president of Mallard View Outdoors. I know your lovely wife is standing close by. She likes to hear your voice. She loves to hear my voice. She's going to get used to Skip's voice today. <laughs> Hello, Tishner family, Mallard View Outdoors. Hey guys, what's up? Great to be here. Glad to have you. Oh, look at that shirt. It's a beautiful Skip. day in Kentucky. Skip, are you seeing this shirt? Ducks are us. That yeah. is that is a freaking oldie but a goodie. That's old school right there, Tishner. That's late 90s. That's Billy Jack and Bobby Aberson from Bisco, Arkansas. And they are still running this guide service, right? Uh, they're slowing down a little. They, they're still running it, but they've got it at least out to just a couple people. But uh, but I'm going to tell you, those those folks took me in the late 90s and treated me like family. And uh, if, if uh, a person's life is not complete until they've had a slice of uh, Bobby's pecan pie, it's to die for. Oh, I'm allergic to nuts, but every time I go to the South, I get real envious of people because they like – they get all freaked out over pecan, pecan. There's all these different ways to say it. I think it's pecan in the South. But that pecan pie is like legendary down there. So you're saying he's got a good one, huh? Man, Bobby, Bobby's Billy Jack's wife, and she, uh, she's a fabulous cook. And you'll go out and kill a limit of mallards in the morning. You'll come back and scavenge through the yard and pick up a bucket of pecans and get them hauled out. And, man, she'll fix you the best pecan pie you've ever put in your mouth. It, uh, it's fine. Skip, I know you've had fine pecan pie in your life. And the other thing that he's bringing up, Skip, is a pretty common theme that we've had here through all of our episodes. Pretty common theme of hunters alike, turkey, duck. Deer hunters are weird. I admit this. 
They put weird oxygen on their clothes. They store their clothes in these weird bags. They go to bed at like 7 p.m. Duck hunters are ready to roll until about 2, 3 in the morning and then be up at 5, ready to start the boat and the coffee pot. There's a different mentality. I get it. But one common theme, whether you're a sheep hunter, a deer hunter, duck hunter, goose hunter, turkey hunter, fish camp, doesn't matter. The common theme is food, camaraderie. But here's the deal, Skip. When you get to duck camp and you have all of that camaraderie going on, we still have one thing in mind, and that's the hunt. And what we're talking about here is how these products that are showcased in the 2001 Wildfowl Giant Gear issue help the duck hunter the goose hunter alike, the weekend warrior, the everyday duck hunter, the guy that's crazy about it, the girl that's nuts about it, the girl that's new to it, the guy that's 40 years old and just getting into it, outfitters all over the country, guides. We have to depend on our gear. We are gear nuts. We do not cut corners as duck and goose hunters. So skip, think about what Josh just said about that pecan pie, but related to duck camp and that overall aura, that swagger that we have, knowing the fun that we're having, the good meals and stories that we're sharing, but what's getting ready to happen the next day and how a product like the ice eater is going to ensure this. And again, check your local regulations, check your local authority, your department of natural resources, your departments of wildlife. You might be able to use an ice eater to keep your water moving just on a non-ice day, on a warmer day to keep your decoys realistic. It's amazing how decoys swim. Check your local regulations and make sure you're always legal, safe, and ethical first and foremost. But Skip Knowles, talk to me a little bit about your experiences because in Colorado, I have had some of the most amazing ice eater hunts of my life on bodies of water, on frozen parts of lakes, opening it up on gravel pits that got so cold that even the gravel pits were starting to freeze on the edges. And we were able to get in there with these Mallard view ice eaters and attract literally, and I'm not exaggerating. I have the proof because you know, if you're not taking pictures or filming it these days, Skip Knowles, it didn't happen. I have proof that 500, 800 lessers at Canada geese at a time, are landing on top of our ice eaters and our decoy spreads. So talk to me, Skip, about what you've seen at duck camp, the camaraderie, and then that absolute power of the hole being open. Well, that's a, the excitement of that can be created in, in waterfowl camp. It's just something you can't suppress and go to bed at 9 PM. It's, it's a funny thing. It is a, a strange dichotomy. You're right. That, um, and duck and elk camp getting up at first light and long before first light, getting somewhere in position before first light, you uh, you better get to bed. You better do your thing. It's just a different culture. All the celebration happens before then in most camps. I'm sure the old rowdy deer camps weren't like that, but duck camp, people are coming in from all over. Nobody nobody can go to bed, and the, the food is such a, a huge part of it. I can't get on board with uh, with uh, southern boiled peanuts. I, I just haven't been able to really really handle those the way I'd like. I try them every time I'm down there, but, but I have a great um, – memories as a kid in North Florida, up near the Georgia line, um, picking up pecans underneath trees, sneaking under barbed wire fences into cow pastures and getting bags of pecans. I just love it. But, uh, yeah, the whole thing out, out West where I'm living now and even Western Kansas here is moving water, open water. It's, it's uh, the ice eater. I might be characterized like polarized glasses and, and tarpon and flats fishing in terms of, it's just like one of the biggest game changers where you can use them. Fred Eichler, south of me, he uh, is primarily known as a big game giant, right? 
but he has this magical 20 acre impoundment that's an anomaly in South Central uh, Colorado where you might shoot a canvas back, then a redhead. One year we shot three, all three species of teal that you can get around here, green wing, blue wing, and cinnamon teal on the opening weekend, shoot giant honkers into February. It's just a magical place, but it tends to get locked up, you know, like anything in uh, Colorado and higher elevation by late October, early November, late November for sure. And uh, I talked to him about getting an ice eater on this little strange place that's full of all kinds of ducks. And, uh, and he's like, a what? He wasn't really familiar with them. This was a while ago. And and he got a couple of them, just extended the season. It's just bizarre how uh, effective it is because everyone else is fighting for moving water on the Platte River, northern, uh, southern, southwestern Nebraska, and any place they can find like those steam pits you're talking about, those big gravel pits uh, up near Fort Collins and so forth. They're just unbelievable the way that geese can pack into them. You know, it's, in numbers, it's irresponsible to shoot them. You don't want to wound birds and you don't want to um, educate that many. And you try and run them off and get them to come back in smaller groups. But uh, the ice eater is just, it's a complete game changer. And it, it's, it goes hand in hand with the way people are so much more aggressively managing land now for waterfowl and, and wetlands and flooding wetlands and corn and managing crops. Um, it's just the right product at the right time. I'd like to ask Josh a little bit about the, the roots of the company. When you get a chance, Chad, I'd like to hear about how it started and uh, where he, where he got on the, uh, the right product at the right time. Yeah. Talk to us, Josh Tishner, a little bit about, um, I'll tell you, Skip, it's interesting that you ask. You know, we're here in Kentucky, and and uh, it just seemed like we've been going for, I guess, going on 15 years now, and I guess we're coming up on 14 years advertising with the wildfowl. So it's been a good uh, been a good deal there, and y'all have been good to us, and it's really stirred up a lot of interest when we first got started 14 years ago, and so that's been fun. But here in Kentucky, you know, there was uh, – we've got a – hence the name Mallard View Outdoors – we bought this little piece of property and we're bordered by the river on one side and the slough on the second side. And uh, we, we knew he was going to build a house up on the hill overlooking the river. So, so uh, the first thing we did before we did anything with the house was we did a little dirt manipulation and a little bit of piping and we got it where we could flood the duck hole in the bottoms. So uh, that's how we got the name Mallard View Outdoors. But, uh, but you know, we're no different than anybody else. Uh, necessity breeds innovation, I guess you could say, and ideals. So, uh, you know, there we had a couple of buddies that have been playing around a little bit as well. But, uh, but, but when we would have ducks here in Kentucky, we'd be froze up. And, and so we would keep, uh, we would, we'd keep our side-by-sides tore all to pieces, trying to bust an inch and a half, you know, two inches of ice. It would just destroy them things. And then we'd back duck boats down in the water and try to let them idle all night. And that wasn't good for a long term either. So so we knew there had to be a better reason. So, uh, you know, we we chose to uh, we chose to, to, to team up with Powerhouse, then a uh, company in uh, Owings Mills, Maryland. And they built the motors for mostly marinas, you know, for for, for boat docks and yachts. And what we did was we built a shallow water stand and we incorporated their motor into our package and because they was a they was a reputable company you know all in america uh, had the good products what we felt was the best there was as far as the you know the ice eater part goes so we we combined that with our shallow water stands and we did all the marketing as mallard view outdoors and uh, you know the timing was the timing like you said people is they are uh, very aggressive whether they're deer hunters or duck hunters or elk hunters they're just so passionate and what they do, 
So, you know, everybody, uh, they're manipulating and managing their little their little personal honey hose to such a level that it's awesome to be able to have a product that they can use and and change their outcome of their season in a positive way. So, you know, we don't have to we don't have to totally rely on Mother Nature anymore to give us the weather to be able to hunt. We can uh, we can make sure we got our honey hole open. And even on days when it's 33 degrees and we don't need it for straight ice, uh, if there's no end, we can have the most realistic spread moving two or three dozen decoys with an ice eater that uh, that you guys have ever seen. Wow. Talk so, when the reader when the reader, when the reader sees the ice eater in the accessory section of the new wildfowl gear issue, Josh, we can only see so much. We see a picture of it. it. Looks like there's an aerator on there with a fan in it with a blade, and then it's on a stand. Talk to the listener, please, about what he or she can expect when they open that box. When they go online and they order their ice eater, what do we get with it? What comes with it? What are the options with it? What's the power? How do we plug it in? How do we run them? Do we need a generator? Do we need a thousand foot extension cord from the barn to the pond? How do we make sure that these things, I mean, I've been up at three o'clock in the morning, Josh Tishner, filling gas cans. So my generator didn't turn off to make sure. And then we started to get it to where we just lined in 50 gallon drums of fuel and pumped it in. So it was all, all gravity fed. We try to come up with so many things to make sure we didn't wake up and all of a sudden that generator goes off because it runs out of fuel the power fails the ice heaters turned off now we got two and a half inches of fresh ice and the geese and ducks are nowhere to be seen so what do we get with it when we buy it and what do we how do we use it all right what you're what you're going to expect is you know the we're going we'll talk about uh, the sizes of the ice heater first the, the the predominant sizes are one horse ice heaters and a three-quarter horse ice heater all right, so what we've done is we have standardized through the years of trial and error and just learning how things work and how people can tear them up and what they're going to tear up. So you're going to get you're going to get the ice eater. You're going to get uh, which is a it's a it's a AC motor. It's going to come in a big green plastic shroud, and we 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 put a screen kit on the back of every ice eater standard. So it will not break up big chunks of ice, and when you break up when you break them up, it won't suck those chunks of ice through the back and break a prop. You know, so we standardize the screen kit on the back. So uh, so there's either a one horse or a three quarter, depending on how big of a hole you want open. The one horse is just a three quarter on steroids. It's just a little beefier. It's kind of like a 350 Chevrolet versus a uh, 305. You just get a little bit more punch, a little bit more power. You know, so so what you can expect is about a 60 to 90 foot diameter hole with the one horse and uh, the three quarter is going to move about, you know, it's going to move about, I don't know, 80 percent the water that a one horse will. So so with those with those then you got to look at cord length. So what's pretty standard is a 100 foot cord up to a 150. And I'm going to try to keep this simple. Uh, there is some people, some people get a little confused between 115 volt and 230 volt ice eaters. Okay, on the voltage part of it, the ice eaters do the exact same amount of work. They move the same amount of water. It's only a difference in the type of power that you have. Most of your little small inverter quiet generators only provide 115 power. So we sell 98% 115 volt ice eaters. 
Now, the guys that are fortunate enough to have permanent blinds, uh, your guys that, you know, they have refrigerators in their blinds and they have, they have, they have a live power source. If they have 230, that's wonderful. Uh, that will enable them to run a longer power cord to their ice eater without having voltage drop. That's really the only difference in the 115 and 230. That's the only advantage of the 230 over the 115 is you can run a longer power cord without voltage drop. So to address your question, Chad, about the generator versus live power and why do we need one or the other? Well, obviously, if we have live power uh, and we have sufficient amps and volts, we don't need a generator. But for the guys like myself and most of our buddies, we don't have live power to our pit, so we have to run generators. Um, you know, and we run six gallon, 12 gallon, up to 40 gallon auxiliary tanks beside these little generators, and they'll run two or three days before you got to refuel them. So it makes it terribly versatile, adaptable, you know, so we can hunt just about any situation you can imagine with an ice eater and a generator. I mean, Skip, when you listen, to, Skip, when you listen to Josh talk like that, I mean, think about that word adapt, adapting now. I get fired up, Skip, because as a duck hunter, you want to fool them and you want to get them tight. You want to get them right. And you're always thinking in your head, what's the next step in making sure that all the pieces of that puzzle come together? And when you hear somebody that's so passionate about the product that he or she designed, like Josh Tishner at Mallard View Outdoors is explaining to us, Think about all the possibilities, Skip, that you can do with this product. All I can picture right now is a sunny morning, walking out with frost coming, you know, that's all over the, the weeds and all over the ground. I got steam coming out of my mouth. I look down at my lab axle. He's breathing. The steam's coming out of his mouth. And I look up and I see this pond with ripples in it that's got a whole body of ice around it, Right. And now I start going, oh, my gosh, this is going to be unreal. And Skip knows what I mean by that is picture this. Goose full bodies all along the edges of that ice. A couple mallard full bodies in there with their heads tucked. Maybe some of the sleeper full bodies that you see from so many manufacturers out there that are included in the gear issue. Floater Canada's and floater mallards. Maybe a couple floater pintail to get some white on that hole. Ice eater, one or two of them in there, depending on how much water we're moving. Let's say it's just one. Ripple, sun shining. Think about this hunt, Skip. Think about this picture I'm trying to paint and what Josh Tishner is painting. Think about those birds that come over those trees off of the river, off of the northern Platte in California, and they see all of those full bodies along the line. All of the floaters in the open water, some feeders in there. They might be dunking their heads under getting some food. The happiness of that flock, the realism, the legitimacy of it. Skip, please tell me you've seen this type of hunt before. And this, and I'm telling you straight up, whether it's Idaho or Colorado, I've done this at Honey Break. I told you the stories of how we go all season long and we get down to Honey Break, which is supposed to be warm, and we're putting our Mallard View ice eaters out at Honey Break because of ice. This is my favorite kind of hunt skip maybe beside a really good sunshiny bluebird authentic arkansas style flooded timber hunt where we've used ice eaters in that instance too because ducks will not go in the timber if there's ice if they see any ice down there at all they're not messing with it so skip this is my favorite hunt 
I'm trying to define it for you. I'm trying to paint it for you. Think of that picture of that pond in Colorado. You see the fence out there. You hear some magpies going off, a coyote howling. I'm trying to show you this is America. This is a duck and goose hunt in December, January, late season that an ice eater can make happen. Have you seen this, Skip? And does it get you as fired up as I sound right now? I've seen it done the right way and the wrong way, and I love it so much. There's late season hunts and breaking ice along shore. <clears throat> you better have your act together with gear. I mean, your waders better be tough because the ice will tear them up. There's so much, and I've seen it done wrong. I've seen guys in a, I mean, small car topper John boats out there trying to break ice, like two inch ice, bust, trying to make a hole happen. And when you see it done right with something like an ice eater, it's just, it's, there's nothing like it. There's something wrong with me. <laughs> Everybody knows, you know, my family calls me the duck queer. I, uh, I just love waterfowl in all stages, all times of year, all species. But there's something sick and wrong with me. And I just love to crush a bird up high and hear it sail to the ice. And that noise it makes as it hits the skim ice and busts a hole and hits the water. There's just something wrong with me. I love that. And if it's a goose, so much the better. But, yeah, we live for those days, man. It's, it's, uh, there's nothing quite like it. And the right gear really makes or breaks that kind of day, whether it's uh, um, flirting with survival, <laughs> messing around with ice that you can get on. I've seen guys belly crawl on, out on ice that you could almost break with a boat because they couldn't break it with a boat and all this dangerous silliness. You got to be safe out there, but uh, those mornings are just unbelievable. I've been in duck blinds in Colorado and seen elk grazing in the distance and here we're um, hunting in February when uh, we're shooting geese and you can tell they're already paired up. I think the season ends mid-February there. And uh, you'll land them and they'll, they'll swim away in pairs because they're already pairing off. And when we shoot, you hear just, oh, the turkeys just start rattling off because they're ready to go inside Colorado already. It's just, it's an awesome time of year. And the, the steam coming off the, the water and uh, everything about it, it's just awesome. The frost and there's no bugs and good work for the dogs if you have an open hole it's just fantastic great point right there josh tishner skip Knowles mentions dogs you had mentioned a great that's part of the aerator with a fan how safe is this product for a swimming dog or you you have your 13 year old niece out there and she wants to go move decoys with her dad puts her decoys gloves on they're walking out there they know right where the bubbles are coming up Talk about the safety aspect, the dogs swimming close to the ice eater unit or kids or adults out there moving decoys. What do we do? We want to turn it off and take a chance of that real cold temperature refreezing the hole. Or can we be rest assured that we're safe with it running while we're moving decoys or our labs retrieving a mallard? I tell you, man, 15, 14, 15 years, uh, we leave them running. We talk to thousands of, of customers a year and, uh, Seems to be the consensus that, you know, everybody just lets them run. Uh, the dogs, you pay attention to dogs, and the dogs will look at them one time, and, and they'll skirt the edges of them about every time. You know, they'll they'll skirt out in front of them, and the current will shove them away. But, uh, you know, we do run the screen kits on the back of them for added safety and for, you know, for uh, protection of the prop from ice. But that's just not, it's just not been a concern. We've just not seen an issue at all with that in the whole time we've been in business. And, uh, you know, we still we still encourage you to uh, to use common sense. Common sense is a big word. And of course, if you're going to go out there and move it around and change the angle, uh, kick it off for just a minute when you're going to get your hands in the water close, you know, turn it off, move it around, then crank it back up. 
But as far as just going out there, adjusting the decoys, walking out in the spread to chase a cripple, man, you're totally safe and uh, roll on. Just use common sense. Okay, what about the stand, um, the, the, the frame that this is on? Is this something that can adjust to different depths of water? Um, we might be in three feet of water one day. We might be in 18 inches the next day. Um, can you adjust the stand and is it easy to do? And then talk to me about the, the maneuverability, I guess, of these machi- of these units of Mallard View Outdoor Ice Eaters. Is it a two-man job every time? Can, a, can one person move these and carry them into the pond and set them in? What's, what do you see in that aspect? How would you answer that question, Josh? I tell you, man, they, they are very maneuverable, Chad. And as long as Gigi Weedy's in the morning, I mean, I Missy moves them all the time by herself, you know. And but uh, no, they're they're not bad at all. I mean, they're uh, they're going to weigh about sixty pounds, and uh, you can move them absolutely by yourself. If you can, what I tell everybody, if you can wave the hoe, you can use a uh, you can use a Mountain View Ice Seater with the with the stand that comes with it. So anywhere from 15, 18 inches of water all the way up to about five foot, you're good to go with the stand. You know, it is, I told you this story about two weeks before Tim Grounds had his accident. He came up here to my shop and he brought some ice seeders to redo them. And uh, he gave me some pointers and he really wanted to change the stand a little bit and put some little springs on it, some little clips instead of the T-handle. So we, we tried that and they worked pretty good. So, uh, but you can very easily change the, the angle of each one of the legs you know, so you can hunt anywhere from 15 inches up to about five foot. And I've told you the story. One of the reasons that we kept the stand so simple for so long is one of the first big customers we ever had was Tony Vandemore and Iron Aaron McCauley up at Habitat Flats before there, long before there was the Habitat Flats. And we went out there in about 12 inches of water and I watched Tony just jump up and down for repeatedly for two or three minutes trying to drive that, that ice eater down in the mud a couple of extra inches. And when I seen him do that, I realized that that was going to be how he's going to be treated all over the country. So we knew we had to keep it just ruggedly dependable, ruggedly strong and simple. So that's what we've chosen to do and uh, had very good luck with it. But on those, and you guys have already mentioned this. So so the stand works great from 15 inches up to weightable water, four or five foot. But what are we going to do? Like, Skip, when you you mentioned the, uh, the steam holes, the gravel pits that can be 15, 20 foot deep you know we absolutely have an option for you there as well and we've got a lot of customers that hunt those things and all we have to do different is we do have to forego the stand and we put them on a float so uh we can absolutely put use the same exact you know mallard view motor and everything we just put it in a float and we can hunt 50 foot of water as easily as we can two feet we just have to use two ropes and anchor it on the sides and uh it works great the principle is the same Josh, tell me this, and Skip and I have discussed this, of duck hunting gear. We use it for a short part of the year, right? You know, you you might have tens of thousands of dollars invested in a duck boat. You might not use that same boat when it's bass fishing season, right? You have all these decoys. Well, what do you do with them in the off season? This is a struggle, right? We want to be playing with our gear all the time, but sometimes it just doesn't make sense in this, in the world of waterfowl hunting, but this is a product that I could see year round use. And talk to me a little bit about lawn and garden. And I know this is off subject, but I want the end consumer that's reading the wildfowl gear issue to be like, well, shit, I only get two cold days a year. 
I might not be able to use this every day of duck season, but what if it's springtime? Can they use it? And then can you put it in a koi pond or a fish pond? Are the fish going to be in danger of this type of a unit? How can we use it for aeration, water flow, ponds, lawn and garden? Are you seeing an uprise in in, in more potential customers because you could use a mallard view ice eater throughout the entire year? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and that's interesting. One part of Mallard View Outdoors is we sell decorative pond fountains, aerators with big colorful lights and, you know, fountains that'll shoot 15, 20 foot up in there and they look great. And uh, then we sell pond aerators as well. But here's the funny thing about a Mallard View Outdoor Ice Eater is if uh, most of your lodges and most of your people that'll have one could very well have a fishing hole in front of the lodge or at their house or beside their garage. And if you'll find a situation where the water is anywhere exact same as duck hunting anywhere between 15 18 inches up to five foot we can flip that thing up and blow water straight up it serves as an absolute best aerator that money can buy so uh you know feel free to run these things 365 days a year 12 months out of the year every day 24 7 if you so be it and uh, we're not scared of them you know they got a three-year warranty if you wear it out in three years send it back to me and we're going to make that baby good as new again. So, uh, but they're absolutely adaptable for, for two or three days or two or three months or 60 days out of duck season. Take them back to camp and use them as a pond aerator for your fish because fish absolutely love all, you know, so they'll, they'll double duty. So don't be scared of it at all. And that, and, the, and you have nothing to worry about with fish being in and out of it at all. Absolutely not. I mean, they're the, it's practically very similar to a fish pond aerator in a lot of aspects. So we can just turn that thing vertical, shoot it straight up in the air, and we can make our own aerator. And the fish absolutely eat these things up, and they'll congregate right around those high oxygen levels. And, you know, the fish love them. You have they're one, actually attracted to them. Do you have one, Josh, that will uh, chew up mudfish and garfish and stuff like that and leave the bass? <laughs> <laughs> Asian carp. Well, if we could figure out a way to attract uh, the Asian carp and, and some of these non-desirables, that would be a uh, that'd be a new avenue. We need to think about that. Hey, Skip. We need to hey, think about that. Yeah. Skip, I'm looking at this. I mean, look at this. Skip, this is amazing what y'all put together. And now, you know, like you get to the end of the magazine and you've already had this like gratification, like sensory overload right i guess that happens when you get a magazine like this i think it used to happen to guys back in the 70s or 80s with another magazine that wasn't a gear issue wildfowl it was it was another one owned by a guy named hugh but we're not going to talk about that magazine right now but this sensory overload is unbelievable and when you get to this page right here you got the mallard view outdoors ice eater on that page right there Okay, but my point, Skip, is that if you go through this entire section, it's and you labeled it. I want to make sure everybody understands what this section is called because it's some of the coolest stuff in the magazine. You know, it's stuff that we might not think about all the time. It's called hunting accessories. You and your team are putting this together, Skip, and I mean, you got everything in here from from coolers to racks for your gear on your UTVs and your ATVs. You have these apps that are becoming so. I mean. 
how do we strike out as a hunter these days? I mean, with these apps of Onyx or HuntWise or um, some of the other ones, I want to make sure that I name some in here. Onyx, Base Map is in the magazine. Think about the success rate if you use these accessories that you can up, right? If you teach yourself, do you transition? Do you stay old school? Do you hunt like you did back when you were 20, but now you're 45? Things change, Skip. Things evolve, Either you get on the bus or you don't. You don't have to. But ignorance is a way to see your success rate go way down. So my question to you, Skip, is in the ideology of traditional duck hunting, the mindset, oh, I don't hunt over spinners. Well, why not? Because it's cheating. Well, what about that carved decoy and that high-powered Benelli and the ammo that does this and the choke tubes that do this. And what, I mean, everything is high-powered these days. You're in a tree stand 30 feet above the ground where a whitetail never looks because they don't have any predators from the air. You have a bow that shoots 450 feet a second with an arrow that could take down an oncoming train. Where does it stop, Skip? Where does this mindset that, oh, I don't want to do that because it's this. I mean, everything that we do these days, unless you're barefooted and a traditional longbow hunter like like our the great Fred Eichler that you mentioned sometimes does, but he also hunts with a lot of the new and improved technology out there. Skip, my question to you is the ice eater, these apps. We can, be, we can be so successful with this kind of tool. But what's the ideology behind it, Skip? Do you stay traditional and, and kind of sneak some of this in there? Or do you get this gear issue and try to implement as much of this stuff as you can? Because I'm looking through this and I'm like, dude, I'm going to kill a limit every day. And I know that's not true, but that's my, that's my confidence. And that's what we need to be successful in this waterfowl game because it'll kick your teeth in on a daily basis if you're not careful. Skip. What's your idea? What's your ideas of what I'm talking about? Where does it end? Do we get one of each or do you just kind of just sneak it in a little bit and try to hide it from your buddies? Cause you want them to think that you're a traditionalist and an old school duck hunter. You know what I'm saying? Skip. Yeah, absolutely. Chad. <clears throat> uh, of course we're in the business of promoting gear, but I can tell you I'm a situational purist. I go back to my, oh, my father's Arkansas hay farm. He's on the Western edge of the Mississippi flyway, not quite in the central. He's like got the one place in Arkansas with very few ducks, but he has a, you know, five acre pond. And if the birds are hitting it, we'll uh, keep it real simple. We'll use some old paper mache like uh, Sears and Roebuck decoys he has and some foam ones. We'll mix them up with divers, throw them out there and keep it. We'll make a cut cane blind. Just just keep it as simple as you can. That's the purest duck hunting. Uh, and it's really fun. And we'll get the birds, um, you know, every other year or so when any show up. And I love it because of the simplicity, but it's private land, you know, and it's small water and you're kind of shooting the roost and it's like um, very spotty. And in that situation, it's appropriate to be as, as, uh, as purest as possible. Are we going to be successful with that approach out on the public land? No. Uh-uh. Um, are we going to keep little kids comfortable in a blind with, with warmth and maybe a little food and uh, everything they need to have a really pleasant experience? No, we're not going to be able to do it that way. So I say you just escalate the amount of gear you use as needed. I mean, talk to Josh here. How much, I'm wanting to ask you two questions. Um, how much do ducks need to acclimate to the ice eaters? Because we're so careful with the jerk cord and we stop jerking when they're near and, you know, we're, 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 surreptitious in everything we do when it comes to duck hunting. You got this machine out there running. How much do they need to acclimate to it? You know, do you run it when they're um, when you're hunting? And, and I'm curious about that kind of thing. And lastly, to to Chad's big question about 
you know, when it's appropriate to try and be a more purist and when it's appropriate to use as much gear as possible. How much of a difference did uh, the use of ice eaters on your Kentucky place, the Mallard View spot, your namesake, uh, how much of a difference did it make there? It was an absolute game changer. It was an absolute game changer. Uh, I was actually thinking about relating, getting off topic as Chad would, uh, would tell me before and he would try to reel me back in. And I'm going to mention this real quick and then we're going to answer your questions. So, um, the, the, the realism and, and what we're supposed to do and how much of this of the, this new gear and technology we can use, I'm going to relate this back to farming in about a 10-second deal. I was that guy that two or three years ago that said, oh, I can I can plant corn in a crooked row. I don't need auto steer. I don't need a tractor that will drive a dead straight row from here to eternity. I don't need all that stuff. These guys that's using that, they're crazy, don't need it. So the first time you go out in a no-till field and try to plant in front of a rain, and you can't see your row markers because the corn stalks or the beans double from the year before, and you get all off track and you make a big, huge mess, and you got all this investment in your tractors and your ground and your seed and your equipment, and then you make a mess on your end because you can't see what you're doing. And all it takes is just a little bit of effort and forethought to get a little of this GPS technology and this auto steer on a tractor where that thing will drive dead straight all through the night and you can plant all up ahead of that rain and you can do a great job. And uh, so to me, you know, duck hunting's really kind of relative whether we're duck hunting or whether we're farming, we're there to do the best job that we can do. And if we can hand pick a few of these tools that will help us enable us to do a better job and absolutely tip the scales in our favor to be successful or a failure, why not? You know, so so that was going through my head and I got a little sidetracked there, but but that just kind of relates it back to me, you know, is if we can if we can get back in this wildfowl gear and we can handpick a few things that'll make us more successful because we only have a short time, you know, out of the year we dream and, and Chad's got me so pumped up, you know, both of you guys do right now for these misty mornings and waiting on those mallards, you got me all wound up and uh, I kind of know where to go for a little while. But uh, so, you know, get that magazine and look at it and handpick what you think is going to work in your operation and uh, let's, let's, let's compete. Let's, let's, let's get her done. So, Skip, tell me again, what was your quick questions? Well, I think I think it's a great question. Well, first of all, Josh, that was very well said, and I that's a great way to imply it with the farming. Um, evolve. Things get better. I mean, that's mankind. That's evolution. That's intelligence. That's what we're doing. And here's the thing about farming, and it relates back to wildlife and hunting and 360-degree encompassing thought and feeling and ideology of a word, Skip, called sustainability. Farmers don't own the land I know that your family does and stuff, but most farmers have the idea that this is God's land and I get to take care of it for a while. And when I put Mm -hmm. it back up on the shelf, I want it to be perfect for my son, my daughter, who's ever coming along in that. It could be a generational business in the family farm, or it might be a new landowner that comes in there. You want that land to be put back up on that shelf when you're through with it and ready for the next steward of that land to take it over and follow suit. Same with duck hunting. Farming relates to duck hunting. We want to feed these animals the right way. We want them to be nutrition up and down their migratory routes. We want our deer herd to be healthy. We want to practice predator management or doe management, herd management, everything that goes into this. Okay. It's a great way to put it. Your, your techniques in farming go up, your techniques in hunting go up. I mean, the way that we can scout today, are you kidding me? 
as long as it's legal and ethical, we could scout and be right on the X if we want to. We can know the depth of a pond through these apps. We can keep that pond open with a Mallard View ice eater. So that was so awesome the way you put that, Josh Tishner. Thank you very much for laying it out that way. Skip's question was very awesome, is that you can if you check your local regulations and your laws and, your, and, and the legalities of where you hunt, and remember, as duck hunters, traveling state from state, they're going to be different. Always keep that in mind. Don't let it intimidate. You just take the time to learn the local laws, the limits, the regulations, the shooting times, whatever it is. But if you can legally use this during the hunt, keep it plugged in. You got WhisperWatt generator in there that you guys also sell at Mallard View Outdoors. You can hunt over them. You can keep them on. The water's moving. This is good because it could be cold enough to refreeze it. And that's the worst thing in the world. You go out there and break the ice. Then you sit down and you got to go back out there 20 minutes later and break it again. It's kind of like when it's snow and skip and you're brushing that snow off your full bodies. And then you get back in and hope the flock comes when they're clear enough so they don't look fake, right? His question, Josh, is how long does it take ducks to acclimate themselves to this? If they come over that hole, can they pick it out? Well, that's fake. Those bubbles are fake. That doesn't look right. I'm not going to trust that. Does that question make sense? The power of the open water, the power of the open water is the ultimate factor. Uh, and to answer your question, we let them run 24-7 every day. When it's going to be below freezing, we let them run 24-7. We never turn them off. Now, this is kind of interesting because from geography to geography, we talk to so many duck hunters every day. Uh, you know, I've seen this with my own eyes in Southern Missouri. Tony hunts with them things at about a 45-degree angle. He'll be pushing 12, 14-inch ripples and waves through his corn, and them ducks will be riding it just like a carnival ride. We cannot get by with that here in Kentucky. They won't let us do it. We have to, we have to try to get them a little deeper and make a little more subtle, a little more subtlety to it. You know, uh, keep keep them right below the surface, pointed more horizontal. You know, move the water, do the deal with keeping the ice out of it. But we like it a little bit more subtle for our ducks in Kentucky. And some people tell me that they like it as radical as possible. But what we have seen personally, time and time again, we've got to go out and hunt with different places. It's like, uh, you know, the, the generators. The biggest thing with a super quiet generator, in my opinion, is for the hunters. Uh, you know, we want, to, we want to keep it enjoyable, quieter as possible. But when these ducks are coming in and they hear a generator and they can hear them, but as they come in, that generator gets just a little louder and a little louder, and it's not like they just hit a wall and all of a sudden hear that generator. So I don't see that the generators really affect them that much at, at all. But, uh, you know, I think they get acclimated very quick. Don't think it bothers them much. But when they see them decoys out there bouncing and moving open water when everything else is froze up, that attraction is so stout that uh, they're coming to the dinner table. Skip. I'm fired up. Josh gets me fired up the way he just did that whole farming deal. Then he said stuff like the dinner table. We talked about pecan pie, Skip. We talked about ripples. We talked about sunshine and dogs, anticipation, family, friends, duck camp, turkey camp, deer camp. It's the time of the year. It's go time. I was driving back yesterday from a part in Oregon. We did a big cooking event up there and I was my dad passed away. It'd been 15 years last week, which blows my mind. And as I'm driving back from Oregon to Nevada, my dad would love duck hunting, but he loved big game hunting and he was good at it. And all I could picture, like looking at all this landscape was an 82 inch antelope 
and the way that my dad taught me how to stalk antelope and and look for antelope and and pattern antelope and the moon phase and the temperature it's going to be hot so that brings in all of the 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 filled the table and we would eat antelope but it would always get a bad rap and my dad always taught me you got to get it on ice you got to get the blood out of it it's 95 degrees out there when you're killing them in wyoming or montana or nevada or colorado it's august archery season is already happening now rifle season just opened saturday and we had a lot of friends out chasing them and all i could picture was my dad at camp and getting ready for the next morning and not being able to sleep and and then i could smell that antelope and they weren't, they didn't smell that good when it was that hot out. I mean, all of these senses came back to me on this drive. A couple tears even came to my eye. And I know what you're going through right now, Skip, but this life is so precious. This culture is so precious to be a hunter. I just podcasted last week with the great Ted Nugent, who's a friend of mine. And he educated me that this is our right to hunt. I always said, it's a privilege. And he goes, no, son, you're wrong. No, sir, you're wrong. We have the right to defend ourselves. We have the right to hunt. And driving back yesterday, Skip and Josh, I kept thinking, man, how special is this? Tears in my eyes, hiding them in my sunglasses because I didn't want to explain to anybody in the truck that I was starting to cry because I missed dad and antelope hunting and what the senses do to me, this sensory overload, this gratification, this anticipation, this salvation of what it means to hunt the right way. And as I'm driving, I'm sitting there going, I can't wait. I'm 45 years old now and I can't wait. I'm more excited now than I've ever been. And I think a lot of it has to do with friends like you two, family, of course, mother nature, conservation, habitat, California waterfowl, Ducks Unlimited, Delta, you name it, all of the conservation agencies, National Rifle Association, Safari Club International, First for Hunters and Fighting for Our Rights Daily, behind the scenes that we might take for granted sometimes. I know when we are 18, we take it for granted. But as we mature, we start to see what's important. And listening to Josh Tishner talk today, Skip Knowles, I realized some other stuff that's important. Paying homage to these landowners that let us hunt their land. Paying homage to farmers and ranchers all over the world, doing what they do for wildlife and sustainability and our food sources. In a world that we move so fast in, it's sometimes nice to pick up a magazine, which we very rarely do anymore. This is one of the only ones I touch anymore. It's crazy. But on that drive yesterday, I learned that slowing down and listening and conversing and talking and transparency and figuring out what people think and respecting those views. You might not want to hunt over a spinner, but don't down somebody because they do. You might not like this duck call company, but don't down somebody because they do. That's a big problem in our world today, in our hunting world, is that all of these companies and all of these pro staffs, everybody's against each other. So that drive yesterday, Skip and Josh, made me think of, we got to be in this together. You hunt with an aerator and an ice eater, then do it. You hunt with a, 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 a you know, one of these sh- mud motors that gets so many complaints down in places like Arkansas. Let's figure out how to work together and support the overall culture and lifestyle. Because my dad's up there looking at me going, hey, you're lucky to still be down there doing that. Do it the right way so my daughter Alyssa and my nephew Chase and my other nephews Chance and Caden get to continue to do it. Your kids, Josh, your kids, Skip. Let's do it the right way. Let's be good ambassadors. And listening to Josh talk today about farming 
and just a clear view of what it means to, to, to use technology and evolve with it, Skip. This magazine will show you this big time what it means to evolve because it's evolving every day. I mean, look at the photography, look at the print ad designs and digital media and print media. Now it's crazy how awesome stuff looks. We're living in the golden age. So let's get along. Let's lose the ego. Let's figure out how to work closer together to ensure this because my dad and losing him, it taught me, wow, it could be gone in the blink of an eye. Okay. All of this can all of it can. Josh might say, you know what? I'm done making ice eaters tomorrow and that's going to hurt hunting. So let's figure out how to respect each other's views, respect the resource, have compassion for these animals that we pursue and be the best ambassadors flying this flag of the American duck hunter, goose hunter, turkey hunter, predator hunter, deer hunter, sheep hunter, elk hunter. I don't care what you hunt. Let's all come together because we're all in it for the same reasons. I might not shoot turkeys with a bow and I might not think you should, but that doesn't mean that you can't. Okay, it's legal, do it, but do it right, do it ethically, do it safely, and teach that next generation, here's what we have right here in front of us, the farming, the resources, the product, the gear issue from Wildfowl. Skip, this has been another awesome episode. Josh Tishner, you laid it down. Preaching, my brother, from the great state of Kentucky, where the great Chris Knight comes from and the great Chris Stapleton. Come on, Kentucky has produced some of the best of all time in so many different areas, including college athletics, bourbons, bluegrass, Ricky Skaggs. I'll keep going, Skip. This has been another great episode. Skip, what do you got to say about what I just had to say or anything that you want to say, Skip Knowles? I'll try and keep it short so I don't get too choked up too. You know, as you mentioned, I'm here on a, a family emergency. We just lost my uh, wonderful beloved father-in-law at age 67. It was unforeseen. Two weeks ago, he was paddling around uh, on a stand-up paddleboard in two-foot waves at Barrow Lake, um, and nobody saw it coming. But he's an exemplary um, human being in that when he checked out unexpectedly, he left absolutely um, – no, no regrets behind. He didn't go to into the great beyond talking about thinking, you know, maybe I wish I'd been a better husband. I wish I'd had a, a long-term relationship with and shown loyalty to the love of my life. I wish I'd spent more time with my grandkids. I wish I'd uh, been a more upstanding member of the community. He did it all right then. And as outdoorsmen, we could stand to learn from that example as well. I loved what you touched on and uh, Wildfowl Magazine, that, that awesome story you wrote about goose hunting with a terminally ill hunter on his last hunt and how you eloquently said, <clears throat> we're so lucky to be standing on this side of the dirt. Um, and what you touched on earlier um, with, with uh, Josh as well about how we are temporary stewards of the land. We need to have that in mind in our approach with everything we do outdoors. It is a right to hunt and bear arms, sure, but um, it's done a lot better when we do it responsibly. And what you said, my father's like, yes, we have this wonderful private hay farm in West Arkansas. He goes, it doesn't belong to me. I paid some money for it so I could be here on it for a while, but we just get to hold it for a while and then we got to move on. And one day he'll be looking down on me and one day I'll be looking down on my kids, you know, and and it's just been so much fun doing these podcasts with you, Chad. You've brought up so many wonderful points. And I really appreciate you and your effort in doing it. And Josh, I appreciate your support for the magazine for all these years. You know, you really summed up better than I did about all this gear that we have access to. I would just say, you know, the animals are always one step in front of us. The mallards shift their migrations around in a in accordance with pressure. They become more nocturnal in accordance with pressure. So I don't feel bad at all about doing everything we can, as you so eloquently said, Josh, um, 
to try and make our investment pay off because we are heavily invested and hunting season's short. I know it, I know everyone says it's really long these days, but the windows that are really good and the weather's right for us, they tend to be pretty short. So, you know, as far as making your investment pay off, you know, do everything you can within reason and ethically to, to make that happen. And that's what the giant gear issue is all about, but really appreciate both of you. And it's been a lot of fun doing this, this podcast. I'm going to listen to the whole series again and again, because I continue to learn from everyone we have on it. So thank you both. Thank you, Skip. Josh, thank you for being here. Any closing words from the man behind Mallard View Outdoors, the Ice Eater? I'll tell you, it's been a pleasure being with you guys. And uh, I got about a two-minute story I could tell Skip, and I'm going to share it with him whether we do it on the podcast or not. Chad, I've told you about the story. where When we first started, I'll just tell you real quick. I'll make it quick. When we first started 14, 15 years ago, we uh, we. My avenue of advertising didn't work, didn't see any results. So we had a little barn down by the river, skip right down by our duck hole. And, uh, and I'd go down there after work and I'd weld a couple of these frames together. Missy would get the kids in bed. And when they would get asleep, she'd let me come home and I'd go to bed because I had to go to work the next day. And she would go down there and paint two or three stands so we could have something to sell. So uh, I'm not sure exactly how it came to be where we first started advertising with Wildfowl. But that's when we first got our taste of success was right after that first wildfowl article and uh, advertisement come out. And, man, we started selling these things and it very quickly got to where I couldn't build enough. And Missy's Missy's dad couldn't build enough stands and my good friend Alan Bledsoe couldn't build enough stands. So then we had to go to a commercial builder to get more quantity of stands. That is kind of the history and wildfowl was a big part of that. And uh, that and, the, you know, camaraderie, this is a people's world. It's still a people's world and uh, everything is great, but we still have to be stewards of the land and leave it better than we found it. And I want to take the shout out to uh, to remember all everybody in the armed forces and everybody that's fighting for us and our freedom so we can sit here and do this today. Very well said, Josh. Military, first responders, leaders. We need leadership. None of this is possible without our armed forces, all branches. They work together, and so can we. And that's what Wildfowl does for me, man. It gets me fired up. I'm excited. I truly hope that you guys have enjoyed the episode so far. Last season was a blast. I feel we've improved this season. We keep trying to be outside of the box with our guests, our topics. We follow suit with how Skip and his team lay out the Wildfowl Giant Gear issue. We want to be better next year when we bring the series to you. So write in, info at thefowllife.com, and tell us. I said that wrong, I think. Info at thefowllifetv.com. Tell us what you want to see, what you want to hear on these Wildfowl podcasts, and we'll bring it to you. We might even bring in some uh, uh, different episodes throughout the year. It doesn't have to be for the gear issue. We can get Wildfowl. We can get Skip back here, other people, other personnel, other stewards of the land, other manufacturers, other call builders, blind builders. You name it. We'll get them on here. Tell us what you want to hear. We're going to be back with one more episode to conclude the 2021 Wildfowl Giant Gear Issue, where Skip Knowles, editor-in-chief of Wildfowl Magazine, and myself will sit down and just recap each episode and our thoughts, our feelings, our, our admiration, our thankfulness, our appreciation for all of our guests and the products that they take the time to build, the outfitters that joined us, everybody that came on here to tell their stories and talk about what makes the culture of the American duck and goose hunter special? I do not take it for granted. I hold it very sacred. Again, let's do our best 
to keep this flag flying high for many generations to come. That's been another episode of the Foul Life Podcast, the 2021 Wildfowl Magazine Giant Gear Issue. For all of y'all watching on YouTube, there it is right there. Get it at your newsstand and your mailboxes. Just get your hands on it. And I've said it before, and I'm going to say it before we leave today. If you go in to a duck lodge or somebody's office that works in the duck and goose hunting business and they don't have this magazine on a table or somewhere, I'm probably not staying very long. So y'all take care. Have a safe season. We'll see you on the next episode of the Foul Life Podcast. Tom Jake, hit that button. This song is called My Foul Life by the great band 2AM Logic. Logic.